today's gospel is recorded in Luke chapter 10. It also will serve as the basis for today's sermon. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Famous words spoken by a famous man. President John F. Kennedy spoke them on the day that he became President John F. Kennedy. January 20th, 1961. They were a part of his inaugural address. In that speech, and specifically with that memorable line, he was encouraging his hearers to ask the right questions. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. He wanted people to see how they could get involved, to be more interested in how they could be a part of the process, how they could be a part of helping one another rather than sitting back and waiting for someone to help them. He knew that a country wasn't going to go very far if everyone was just sitting and waiting to be served, and he knew also that if everyone sits back and waits to be served, then that goal, that hope, that prayer would never come true because there'd be no one there doing the serving. And so he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Jesus encountered a man, an expert in the law, who asked a good question. The the right question was being asked by the man. In fact, it was the perfect question. There's never been a question on the lips of man that has ever been more important or more significant than the one the expert in the law asked. He said, he asked, how do I get to heaven? How do I gain eternal life? 
And the man didn't know it yet, but not only was that the perfect question, but he was asking that question of the perfect person, quite literally, the perfect Savior Jesus. He asked the question of the perfect one because not only did Jesus have the answer, Jesus was the answer. The man lived up to his title as an expert in the law by being able to quote from the law, from the the Old Testament. He certainly was an expert. I'm assuming that you take your car to an expert mechanic, unless you are one yourself. You're going to take that car to an expert mechanic because you want him to be able to do the right things, to assess the problems, to fix it, to get you back up and and running. Your mechanic, as an expert, ought to be able to answer some basic questions about how cars work. You should be able to ask your mechanic, what is an alternator? What does it do? And they ought to be able to answer You should be able to ask them, when do I need to replace the spark plugs? Or what's the proper interval between oil changes? Your mechanic needs to be able to answer those questions, and if he can't, you need a new mechanic. He ought to be an expert. The expert in the law lived up to his title as an expert because Jesus, in an effort to teach him, asked him, what does the law say? He answered His question with a question of his own. What does the law say? How do you teach it? Jesus said. And the man was able quickly to quote some passages from the Old Testament. He was an expert, so it should come as no surprise. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And he smoothly transitions into another quote from another book, the book of Leviticus chapter 19. And love your neighbor as yourself. Every teacher loves word, or every student, excuse me, loves words of affirmation from their teacher. When they answer a question in class, they love to be told in front of everyone that their answer was a good one. Every third grader loves to get the sticker on the top of the homework assignment that says, Job well done. And Jesus gives an attaboy to the expert in the law. He gives him the verbal pat in the back. He says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the man doesn't skip off in glee to his happily ever after. He wasn't there to get a pat on the back from Jesus or to find this common ground. In fact, quite the opposite is true. This section of scripture starts by telling us that the expert in the law was there to trick Jesus, to to test him, to trap him. That man certainly had heard Jesus preach before. He certainly had heard Jesus tell people that mercy and grace and forgiveness are what we need to get to everlasting life. He'd heard Jesus preach that he was the one, through him was the only way to get to heaven. Perhaps the man with his expert understanding of the law was hoping to trap Jesus in that. The law doesn't say anything about forgiveness and mercy and grace. And here comes this Jesus, here comes this guy, this fly-by-night preacher who wants to tell people that there's forgiveness. Perhaps the man was going to use his quotes from the law, his well-prepared quotes from the law, to force Jesus into admitting that his message wasn't from the Old Testament. You can imagine his surprise when Jesus agreed. You can imagine his surprise when he said, yeah, you're right. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you can do that, then yeah, that, that's exactly how you get to heaven. We don't skip off in glee to our happily ever after either as we hear these words. As we hear Jesus say, no problem, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't fill our hearts with just overwhelming joy because, not because we're trying to trap Jesus, but because we know what those words really mean. And we know how incapable we are of carrying them out. Half-hearted devotion is the best that we can offer God. Double-minded dedication is what we are all too often offer as we seek to please God and serve him, but we want to have a foot in the other camp too that gratifies the cravings of the sinful flesh. We know that it's true. Do this and you will live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If we could do that, if we could do that to the measure that God demands, if we could be perfect about our love for God and love for neighbor, then yes, we would get to heaven that way. But that message doesn't fill our hearts with glee because we know that that's just what's printed on one side of the coin. If that side of the coin is true, then the flip side of the coin is true too. If do this and you will live is true, then the opposite is also true. Don't do this and you will die. We don't live up to the standards of God's law. We don't love him the way we should and we don't love our neighbors the way we should. And because of it, we deserve pain and punishment. We deserve a fate worse than the man who fell into the hands of robbers. We deserve worse than being beaten and bloodied and left on the side of the road. We deserve worse than being passed up by priest and Levite. We deserve to be passed up by God himself. We deserve, in short, hell. But we have a Savior God who would never pass us by. We have a Savior God who would never leave us in our distress and so he came to us in our time of need. He came to us and did more than just bandage our wounds, did more than just provide us some health, some help, some care. He came to stand in our place and he did more than just allow himself to be beaten and bloodied for us. He bled down the cross. He did more than just lie there half dead. He went all the way and gave 100% of his body, of his life, so that we could be saved. He allowed himself to be passed by, by God, to be abandoned and left for dead in the grave so that we could have the peace of knowing that heaven is our home. The expert in the law wasn't quite ready to flip that coin yet. He hadn't quite come to the understanding, to the realization that he couldn't keep the law perfectly. And so he decided to test Jesus on this neighbor thing. Who then is my neighbor? Which prompts Jesus, which opens the door for Jesus to tell one of the most memorable stories that we have on the pages of Scripture, the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
And it's no coincidence that Jesus chose the one who would have been the vile enemy of the expert in the law to be the hero of the story. Jesus chose a Samaritan, one that the expert in the law would do everything within his power to avoid, one that he wouldn't felt no obligation of the law to show kindness, care, compassion, or love to. Had the roles been reversed, had it been a Samaritan there on the side of the road, this expert in the law would have walked by on the other side because Jews did more than walk past Samaritans on the other side and vice versa too. They would walk across the country to avoid interacting with a Samaritan. Quite literally, they'd cross rivers to avoid it. A person who lived down in the south in Judea, if they wanted to go up into the north, a Jewish person wanted to go up into the north, instead of taking the quickest point between A and B, they would cross the Jordan River and come around the outside and then cross the Jordan River again. Because in the middle was this land called Samaria. And in the middle were these people, these vile people called Samaritans. So deep was their deep-seated hatred for one another. And so it's no coincidence that Jesus would choose the Samaritan to be the hero in the story. And it's no coincidence that Jesus would choose the opposite too. The two men to whom the expert in the law would associate most closely, they were the ones who were the loveless ones. They were the ones who were the horrible example of how to treat a fellow human being. Jesus was trying to get this expert in the law to see that he couldn't do it. He was trying to get the expert in the law to see that there was no way that the law could save him. Jesus told him that in order to be saved by the law, you have to show selfless Samaritan love. That's the love that Jesus showed to us. Instead of passing by on the other side, he came near to us by leaving heaven and coming down to our earth. Instead of saying as the one that was above the law, he came down and lived under the law and lived that law perfectly, always showing selfless Samaritan love. He showed the kind of love that we don't and can't. A love that had no regard for himself, but only had the concern and the the positive benefit that the recipient could receive. You see, one of the things that made it remarkable that the Samaritan would stop and help was the risk that those robbers might still be there, the risk that they could, he could fall into the same hands, that he could be putting himself in danger. Jesus did more than just take a risk to show you love. He knew that sure and certain and horrific death was at the end of the road, and yet he stopped here on earth, and he stopped in our flesh, and he lived our life. He embraced the cross That would be his death because he knew that the cross would be our life everlasting. Jesus showed selfless Samaritan love when we needed it the most. How do you think the man in the story, the man who fell into the hands of robbers, would have responded when the Samaritan came back? We don't have that part of the story. Jesus doesn't continue the story that long. We just have the Samaritan promise that he will come back. That he will come back and settle things with the innkeeper. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to assume that the man who couldn't walk three days before probably would still 
be there. And so I'm sure the Samaritan, in addition to paying the rest of the bills, would do a follow-up visit, would change some bandages, would, would offer more care. Can you imagine? I want you to think. How do you feel? How do you think that man would have responded when the Samaritan came back? It wasn't enough to just show life-saving care. It wasn't enough to have an escort to a room of safety. It wasn't enough to be left into the hands of a capable and caring guardian. It wasn't enough that all the bills would be paid. He came back to follow up. He came back to give more care and more compassion and more love. How do you think the man who fell into the hands of robbers would have responded coming face to face again with the man who quite literally saved his life? I can't think of any scenarios. I can't think of a single alternate ending to that story other than an outpouring of thanksgiving. I can see that man being so thankful and so appreciative and so loving that it would maybe be annoying. I could see maybe the Samaritan saying, all right, I heard you, just just stop. Because quite literally, that man would owe his life to the Samaritan. To this stranger who didn't know him from Adam. To this stranger who was willing to put his entire life on hold. To this stranger who was willing to open up his pocketbook and offer generously that this stranger would be well cared for and that his life would be preserved. I can't imagine a scenario that doesn't involve a heart that overflows with thanks and adoration. My friends, you and I have been shown selfless Samaritan love. It wasn't enough that Jesus gave us life-saving care 2,000 years ago on the cross, but he does a follow-up visit with us every single day. He bandages our wounds with his words of absolution spoken by a pastor, by a friend, by a spouse. He feeds us with word and sacrament that our faith in him might continue to grow. He heaps blessing upon blessing upon blessing on our lives. Undeserved love abounds. How are we going to respond? I can't imagine a scenario. I can't imagine an alternate ending other than the one where our hearts are filled with thanksgiving and joy. I can't imagine one where we don't trip over ourselves to say thank you to Jesus to the Jesus that we made a stranger, yet he became a friend and a brother. He became a substitute and a savior. He became a hero and a king. Though we were enemies of his, he embraced us, cares for us, saved our lives, and then he heaps blessing upon blessing upon blessing on us. My friends, let's live our lives in thanksgiving and praise. My friends, let's make it a driving force in our lives. Let's think about it every day. How can I thank Jesus today? How can I thank him for showing me selfless Samaritan love? Jesus ends his interaction with the expert in the law by asking a pretty simple question. Who do you think was a neighbor to the man? And of course, the expert gets it right, the one who had mercy. And then Jesus responds, go and do likewise. 
go and live a life that seeks opportunities to be neighborly. Go and show that mercy in the way you interact with those in the world. My friends, that lesson is the same for us. Go and do likewise. You've been shown selfless Samaritan love and now we can live our lives in thanksgiving by going and doing likewise, by showing mercy and love to those we meet in our lives, by looking for others in their needs, by having a different set of eyes in our face that aren't looking out just for our own needs but are looking out for the needs of others. We can go and be neighborly in the way that we respond. In the way that we interact, we can look for those who are hurting or depressed or brokenhearted. We can look for those who look just like us and look nothing like us, who act just like us and act nothing like us. We can look for those who have hundreds of friends and those who look like they don't have a single one. We can be neighborly and loving. No longer do we need to be concerned with how it might impact us. We don't have to be stingy with the love that we can show because Jesus wasn't stingy with us. My friends, go and do likewise. Go and show selfless Samaritan love. Go with joy in your hearts and eagerness in your soul. Go into the world and show selfless Samaritan love. Amen. Amen.